What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 188, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' episode The Siege, parts one and two. But not, Ooh. not the next one. Not the next one. <gasps> yeah, we got a cliffhanger, Brent. We had oh, a cliffhanger. Oh my God, I was not expecting that. I was expecting some kind of resolution here, Zach. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get that. No. All right, friends. Um, hi, hi, friends. We're an independent podcast. And if you like what we got going on, you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com slash walking through, or you can go to our website at wtts.space space and click on the little coffee cup icon on the bottom right corner. There you can buy one or two or five coffees, maybe more if you'd like. And if you really like what we've got going on, you can click the words walking through the Stargate. It takes you to the page buymeacoffee.com slash walking through. And there you can sign up for memberships. Memberships are like the monthly recurring things. Uh, if you wish, if, if that's your jam. Uh, thanks, everybody, to those that have uh, signed up for that monthly recurring thing. And for those that just buy us a coffee, it's, it's great. I love It's very nice. It's very helpful. Uh, we also Indeed. have some wish list items. Uh, there's a couple of things to make the show run a little better. Uh, I got a, like a couple of mics and a mixer on there. Like that's proper like wish list type stuff. But also on there is a, is an item that's not a wish for me, but it might be a wish for you. Uh, it's the wish list item of watch more terrible television. Ah, that's where we will watch the next two episodes of the non-canonical animated series Stargate Infinity. If it funds, we'll do it. We'll do a couple of episodes. We'll post it on the main feed. If it doesn't fund, then I luxuriate in the knowledge that I don't have to see another animated frame of that show ever again. I would die a happy man. But if you want to make me not so happy, that's that's an option that exists for you that you can do that. And if anyone in your life wants to listen to this superb Stargate content, you can recommend our show and tell them that they can find us on Google Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcast, the Podcast, wow. and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Um, however, my personal favorite is the thing that they really should do. They should get themselves a podcast aggregator, search Walking Through the Stargate. They'll find us, click the little plus or add or subscribe or whatever button, and voila, when we post an episode... Uh, then that's uh, they'll 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 hear they'll hear our dulcet tones in their ears. Ooh, we have yeah. dulcet tones. We can from time to time. Wow, it's a okay. thing that happens. It does. It does so, happen. So Zach, yes, Brent? If, a, if a person wants to confirm that the tones that we uh, elicit are dulcet, and that uh, they they or or perhaps let us know that indeed they they are they are not dulcet. Uh, how might they reach out and uh, and and set us straight and or confirm our suspicions? So if you have the proper adjective for our voices, <laughs> whatever that adjective may be, <laughs> incidentally, adjective is a word within English grammar that describes a noun. <laughs> we, in this case, are the noun, and uh -huh. the adjective, like dulcet or something else, would describe our voices. Actually, the noun would be our voices. Yeah, the nouns don't even know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, if you know the proper adjective, yes. email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com and let us know. Yes. Or you can go to the Facebooks and tell the whole Facebook world yeah, yes. what that is. Or... You can go to the discords and yes. tell everybody who's on the discords. Yes. Well, in our channel, well, I guess, I guess you could go to other channels and say that. that, that, that yeah, of course you could. You, you know, yeah, you could you be could, like, you could, 
Yeah. But if you wanted to talk to our group, you do that by going to the website, WTTS.space. Space. And then in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little button that's for the Discord. It's like a little smiley face uh, game controller type of yes. thing. Yes. And you click on that button, and it takes you to the Discords. And then you join. And yep. that's as simple as it is. It, that, 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 that's all it takes. And yep. then you can share with us what you believe our proper voice adjective should be. Yep. Uh, those are all good possibilities. Those, those are fine choices. Um, so I think, Brent. Yeah. We have no other choice but to delve into the season finale of season one of Atlantis. Yeah. The Siege, parts one and two. Let's get into it. Okay. So the director for this episode, these episodes, uh, is Martin Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his sixth and seventh directing credits out of seven. He did Rising, parts one and two. So he began the season and he ended the season. He yep. also did the mid-season cliffhanger with the storm and the eye. And then threw in that brotherhood, the brotherhood. So other than rising, all of his episodes are definite article something. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I bet you season. he wanted it to be the rising. And they were like, eh, how about just, how about just drop the the. How about just, how about just rising? Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, the teleplay for this episode uh, for part one is Martin Garrow. It's the sixth of six credits this season. He did Childhood's End, The Storm, The Eye, Hot Zone, and The Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And part two is by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully, who, uh, this is their third of three, Suspicion at Home is what they did. Um, so that's their teleplay stuff. Uh, guest actors. We've got a host of guest actors for this episode. Um, we have Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett. We've mm-hmm. got David Nickel as Dr. Radek Zelenka. By the way, this is the episode where Radek gets his first name. Oh, uh, up yeah, at this okay. point in time, he was just Zelenka. And yeah. in this episode, he uh, is named his first name is, is revealed as Radic. Yeah, they're very nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've got Craig Veroni as Dr. Peter Grodin. Christopher Heyerdahl returns as Holling. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, he was in Japan uh, and had to fly to Vancouver for a day to film his little scene there. And then he had to fly back to Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good for him. Things. You yeah. Do. Uh, Dean Marshall as Sergeant Bates, James Lafazanos as the Wraith. Yep. Chuck Campbell as Chuck the Technician. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then we also have Rob er- Rob Avery who uh, played Lieutenant Miller in this yeah. episode, and uh, he is known for Stargate stuff, at Deadlands, uh, and The Judge. These are early two thousand things. Uh, in fact, those were his credits. Um, those three. Yeah. Uh, so the judge is a TV miniseries in 2003. He played Perry in an episode of that miniseries. Mm-hmm. That was his first IMDb credit. I think he uh, does um, uh, stunts and, and other backstage background stuff like that. This was the guy that was uh, flying to the satellite with. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. He. He had a bit of a wooden style that I was like trying to, like, as in, like, I wonder if he was a stunt actor. You know. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, then that, those, that's basically what we've got for part one. For part two, uh, we need to talk about Clayton Landy, who plays Colonel Dylan Everett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote his own mini biography on IMDb. Okay. Uh, and so we've got to read this. I meant to look. There, there's some points in this that, that suggest when he wrote this. And I meant to look that up and I ran out of time yesterday. So here it is. After 40 plays, 40 films, 180 TV episodes, and 85 commercials... 
Clayton stopped counting. <laughs> he has been a professional performer, mime, actor, director, producer, writer, and teacher for over 45 years. Mm-hmm. Most recently, he starred as Morris in the Bloomhouse slash Amazon film Bingo Hell. <laughs> uh, so that'll actually tell you when this was written. Um, I, you know, if you want to look that up while I talk. Hell, 2021. 2020. Oh, so this is relatively recently. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, on television, he starred as Roger Barrow in the first season of First and Ten, the first scripted half-hour comedy original series on HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. He has had recurring roles in ten other TV series, including three seasons as attorney James Westmont on Knott's Landing, and one year as the evil Gregory on Days of Our Lives. Mm-hmm. Other shows with multiple episodes include Dynasty, Walker, Texas Ranger, Without a Trace, and Stargate Atlantis. Spoiler, he'll be in the next episode. Uh, yeah. Most recently, he recurred for two seasons on If Loving You Is Wrong. He starred in the pilot Used Cars for CBS and guest starred in the pilot Snoops. His favorite guest starring roles include Becker, Designing Women, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I don't remember who he played in that. And Jag. Mm-hmm. Known to jokingly say his film career goes from A to Z, Assault of the Killer Bimbos to Zombie Strippers. <laughs> his over 40 films and movies for television include favorites Norma Ray, Fatal Beauty, Pump Up the Volume, and The Cisco Kid. Aha. Uh-huh. His work has been represented at the Cannes, Sundance, and Venice Film Festivals. Uh, Norma Ray, Clayton's first feature, was named in 2011 to the Library of Congress National Film Registry. Well, that's uh-huh. cool. uh, it is, however, sad but true, uh, that more people have probably seen him get sucked down the drain in the blob than in any other role. <laughs> okay. He has appeared in over 40 theatrical productions in New York, L.A., Atlanta, and Dallas, he received a Drama Log Award, an LA Weekly Award, a Maddie, a Garland Award, and a Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle nomination for his performance as Luther Adler in the critically acclaimed production of Names at the Matrix Theater in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created the role uh, the following season in the Off-Broadway production. He also received a Drama Log for producing the multi-award winning Andrea's got two boyfriends. Mm-hmm. He's got a CD. Now I'm going to sum up some stuff. He's got training uh, from the University of Houston uh, and some other master classes and such, uh, including with Marlon Brando. Oh, nice. Uh, he teaches scene study for the working actor and get out of your head at the Alliance Theater. Uh, he is the first vice president of the SAG after Atlanta local. He led the creation of the Muriel Moore slash Danny Nelson SAG after a conservatory and served as its chair for seven years. Mm-hmm. He served four previous terms in the Atlanta local SAG after board as president, second vice president, and secretary. He was awarded an honorary union number for his work towards the SAG after merger. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. He is proud to. V- He's proud to be the voice of the Kennesaw State University Marching Owls in NCAA Division I football. His son is the bass player in the internationally loved psychedelic rock band Wand. Okay. And he is married to Leslie Leslie Landy, Landy, 
who is the world-ranked and record-holding Masters swimmer. Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. I looked up uh, which uh, D-Space 9 episode he was a part of. Okay. Season 7, episode 11, episode Prodigal Daughter, aired January 6, 1999. Esri travels to her family home in search of Chief O'Brien, who has discovered a murdered woman connected with the family and the Orion Syndicate. Oh, yes. Okay, now I'm remembering that episode. And basically. he played a character with a pretty decent forehead prosthetic. Um, so, it, you know, like I'm recognizing him just because I just got done seeing his face. So, sure, you know, there sure, he is. Sure, sure. But uh, he played the character uh, Fushida, 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 something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I have been working through Deep Space Nine again because I wanted to, and I am still in season three. I just yeah. recently started that. So... I've got a ways to go. Um, but when you see him, you'll be like, hey, there he is. Hey, there he is. Yep. Uh, let's see here. His first IMDb credit came in uh, 1978. He played a Confederate soldier in the movie The Million Dollar Dixie Deliverance. Uh-huh. Okay. So there you go. Uh, and then we also have Chris Britton, who plays Prenum. Mm-hmm. Or Prenum. Uh, he's the, the Jedi guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And uh, here, his mini IMDb biography is by Red Management Vancouver, ETM Limited, Toronto. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Born and raised in Toronto, Chris Britton first studied acting as a teenager. For a brief period, an interest in dance led him to become a member of the Judy Jarvis Dance Company, Mm -hmm. one of the first modern dance companies in Toronto. He graduated from York University with an honors BFA in theater. While an undergraduate, he was an associate fellow of Strong College, teaching a course in the life and art of Edward Gordon Craig. Upon graduating, he spent two seasons at both the Stratford and Shaw Festivals Mm -hmm. and worked at regional theaters across Canada. In 1980, Chris started the first Artists Action Network within Amnesty International that worked for the release of Imprisoned Artists. During the early 80s, he studied acting with Uta Hagen, in New York City and acted in The Misanthrope, directed by Mark Lamus at the Hartford Stage and The Taming of the Shrew at the Astor Place Theater in New York City. Mm-hmm. He returned to Canada to be a member of the Grand Theater Company with Robin Phelps. In the late 80s, he landed the role of Einstein in the one-actor play toured and toured Canada, Boston, and Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he had over 200 performances. His voice has been heard in hundreds of commercials, narrations, and animations, including uh, animation series, including the voice of Mr. Sinister in X-Men, the animated series, and Soichiro Yagami in the English-language dub of the anime series Death Note. Mm -hmm. In film and television, his talents as a character actor can be seen in roles such as the evil Rombout Kemp in Peter Greenaway's Night Watching the KKK leader opposite Forrest Whitaker in Deacons for Defense, the mad film critic in John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns, and in the final cut opposite Robin Williams. Recurring roles have been in series such as Da Vinci's Inquest, Da Vinci's City Hall, Intelligence, The Romeo Section, Painkiller Jane, and recently Riverdale. Mm -hmm. Two of his screenplays, Captain Murder, based on the true story of the lawyer who defended the last two men executed in Canada, and The Hostage, a political thriller where both award were both a political thriller were both awarded a fellowship in the Praxis screenwriting competition. His third screenplay, third screenplay, The River, 
is about the tragedy of residential schools. Chris Britton and his wife, actress Gwyneth Walsh, divide their time between L.A. and Vancouver and frequently return to, Van- to, to, to Toronto to work and spend time with their daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife there, Gwyneth Walsh, we've actually seen her before. She was on Stargate SG-1. She played the Tokra Kelma, who later gave her life for the Queen Egeria in, uh, I'm blanking on the, is it The Cure, I think? It's the episode in sixth season uh, where they find Tritonin. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, you're probably right. Right. It's probably The uh, Cure. So, but Gwyneth Walsh, uh, Chris's wife, was uh, that Tokra woman in that yeah. episode. Uh, he was in the Kung Fu The Legend Continues in 1994. So hey! there you go. There we, we have go. another connection. It all comes back. Yes. And then we have uh, his first IMDb rating. Uh, IMDb credit came in 1979 in the movie The Brood. Uh, he was man in auditorium. Mm, okay. Uh, sure. He was a man in an auditorium. He was a man in an auditorium. Boo! Uh, you stink! Get out of here! Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, I want to mention uh, David Orth, who plays Captain Radner. Uh, he's the one barking orders on uh, to to the the various soldiers who are defending Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, his mini IMDb biography was by Oklahoma Kid. Okay. It's a lot shorter. Okay. David Orth was born and raised in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. He has had many leading roles in various TV shows, including most notably The Lost World as Edward Ned Malone. Mm -hmm. He has also starred in Beyond Reality, the Ray Bradbury Theater, and many others. Mm -hmm. David has been taught by some of Toronto's leading acting coaches. They are Anthony Cheatham, Susan Bristow, and Ron Leach. Mm -hmm. David is also an alumni. No, he's not an alumni. No, he's He's an alumnus. He's just an alumnus. Yes. He, or, you know, if you wanted to, to shorten that to go alum, that word work too. Yes. But not alumni. He's a member of the alumni. He is. But that's not how it says here. Great. Great. Uh, David is also an alumnus for the famous acting troupe Second City, which spawned its predecessor, the Compass Player. Mm-hmm. David is also known for his accents mm. with range from English, Irish, and Scottish, among others. Okay. In his spare time, he likes to stay in shape. I like to stay in shape, too. Round is a shape. <laughs> he likes to stay in a different shape. Ah, well, you know, uh, I like moving my arms and legs so that my shape consistently changes. <laughs> he likes holding still. Okay. Hey, more power to you. He also likes shape. riding motorcycles and taking care of his dog, Rory. Uh-huh. Um, so I was looking through this, and... Occasionally, for various people in IMDb, they have trivia things for him. Yeah. For them. And so, um, David has some trivia in this. Uh, It goes like this. As many actors, he has waited tables as a what else waiter. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) There you go. Oh, you see, there should have been a little, there should have been a twist in there because, you know, he waited tables as a server. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. He was a waiter. Yeah, that's and right. He waited I mean, tables. He, yeah, he. In this case, he was a waiter. Yep. What, what, what is most fascinating to me is that somebody out there, maybe it was Oklahoma kid, maybe it was somebody else. I don't know, but they thought that was actually trivia worth putting on IMDb. <laughs> so they put it in. <laughs> well, there it is. 
Uh, his first IMDb credit came in the TV miniseries The Lawrenceville Stories way back in 1986, and he played a character named Beefsteak. Beefsteak? Oh, wow. That's a, that's yeah. a good name. So, the original air dates for these two episodes was March 18 and 25, respectively, in 2005. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know all about what was number one on the charts and, and in the box office and what was happening, then you need to listen to the episode on Mobius that we did last week. Yep. So that uh, you can uh, gather all of that stuff. Yep. So, I do have a little bit of trivia for this episode, though. Yes. Uh, part two of the episode is dedicated to Bob Scarabelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the visual experts, ex- visual effects expert on Atlantis, uh, who died very unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of forty-nine Ooh. on September seven, two thousand four. So yeah. that would have been mm. right around the time when this would have been, uh, when they would have been filming this and such. Yeah. Ouch. Um, yeah. That's a bummer. So, uh, this episode marks the first Wraith Hive ship to be destroyed since the expedition arrived in the Pegasus Galaxy. Woo-hoo! So, woohoo, go team! Um, uh, Martin Wood wanted to have a T-Rex or a dinosaur-like creature come through the gate at that appropriate moment. Yeah. Uh, but due to budgetary reasons, they scrapped it. it they said in the commentary that it was going to be something like, uh, $75,000 yeah, to just try for to a, do that. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, we, no, we can't it. do we that, We just talk Martin. about it. Yeah. We're going to recognize it in... The shock on their faces. What? Yes. Uh, so, um, Dr. Grodin's death in, in part two, or part one, is kind of a subversion. So, um, we all know the red shirt trope, right? You oh, wear yeah. a red shirt. You're the guy that's basically unnamed. You've never been seen before. Yep. And you're the one that's going to end up dying. Yep. And so, you know, uh, Martin Wood actually had all three of those characters uh, Miller and Grodin and McKay wearing red. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and they all go there. And the immediate expectation would be that Lieutenant Miller would be the one who was introduced in this episode. That he'd be the one that was killed. Yes. And they subverted that by killing off Peter instead. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Martin Garrow, the teleplay, the the writer of this episode, is the one who is most likely to be killing off somebody that we know in an episode of Atlantis. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and, and that's his way of just kind of trying to remind everybody that, uh, uh, you know, uh, people we know and people we love can also die, and that's not a good thing. He's not a believer in plot armor. He is not. At least not for, for the, the guest star actors. Yes, yes. Um, uh, so, so there's that. So there was apparently a deleted scene from this episode that showed Sora Tyrus. She was the Janai woman that, yeah. that they had actually, she's apparently been in prison at, at the, uh, Atlantis for all of this time, that, that she was part of the uh, swap with the Janai so that she was returned to the Janai as they got the A-bombs. Uh, but this was ultimately cut due to time constraints. Um, and based on a, I think a book series, Stargate Atlantis Legacy, uh, it is mentioned that uh, that she was released after three months, which yeah. would have been about this point in time. Yeah. So there you go. Um, in 2004, there was a Get in the Gate sweepstakes for Sci-Fi Channel, and the winner uh-huh. there was Nathan Flamini- Flaminio, mm-hmm. uh, and he appears in this episode as a scientist, um, I believe. So this is when uh, McKay is sitting there. I think 
Zelenka is there, and there might be one other. There's a couple other people there, uh, and they're sitting there like I should be in that room, and and you know they're just gonna do all of this stuff, and then they're gonna come to the scientists and ask the scientists to fix yeah. everything. But you know, yeah. so the guy who's had his back to the camera and was kind of leaning over the railing, I'm pretty sure that was uh, the sweepstakes winner. Yep. For this, uh, he also <laughs> played an Egyptian in Mobius Part Two. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, this episode title, The Siege, Parts 1 and 2, um, most languages, you know, the, the Germans and Hungarians call it The Siege. Yeah. Uh, the French call it Besieged. Yeah. Which is, yep. you know, and then the Russians call it Blockade. So, yeah. you know, nothing, yep. nothing crazy, you know, nothing like Grodin dies in this episode. <laughs> or, look at that. Uh, we get, sa- we're saved from Earth, or something like that. You know, we don't get anything like that. <laughs> the Unresolved, part one and two. Oh, there you go. So, that's what we have. Um, it's time for the synopsis, Brent. Yeah. And I asked you to produce the synopsis for this week, uh, because of my time constraints during the week, and so I'm yep. going to turn the mic over to you and invite you to share with us the synopsis. Yes. So um, I want to point out real quick, friends, that um, when Zach writes the synopsis, he writes the synopsis and it's 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 an original work like he Mostly. does. It. When I, Yeah. Yeah. I acknowledge. But still, it's very original. When I write the synopses anymore, I am once again pulling to my good friend chat GPT for this stuff because I I'm finding it hilarious to be doing this stuff, but in no way is this actually better. It's just different. And this time I said to myself, what if I ask it to write it in the voice of um, Dr. McKay? Ooh, I don't think we've done that one yet. I don't so, think we have. So this is uh, this is the synopsis written in the voice of Dr. Rodney McKay. Okay, so get this. I. The brilliant Dr. Rodney McKay, along with Shepard, of course, stumbled upon an ancient Lagrangian point satellite. He would not stumble over this. Just as we're making this groundbreaking discovery, a wraith dart decides to make an appearance, scans Atlantis, sends a message, and then blows itself up. Classic wraith drama. Zelenka, trying to be useful, points our sensors to where the (laughs) message was sent, and surprise, surprise, three hive ships are en route to us. Then there's Taylor, who apparently has some Wraith DNA, which lets her sense and connect with the Wraith. And guess what they want? Earth, because of course they do. Now, part one. As the Wraith get uncomfortably close, Zelenka and yours truly inform the team that the Wraith will pass the satellite we found. I'm pretty confident, because when am I not, that we can get it working and take out those hive ships. Zelenka and I have our usual who's smarter banter. Meanwhile, Weir, Shepard, and Bates are off looking for, a new, el- for new alpha sites. Bates, being Bates, doesn't trust Taylor, but Shepard's got her back. Zelenka, in his infinite wisdom, tells Weir that about our self-destruct method that won't even do the job properly. He shows her a simulation, and it's clear the Wraith could still get their hands on some of our tech. Weir's solution? Delete the Ancients database. As they're discussing this, Shepard's team returns and Bates, jumping to conclusions, blames Taylor for an attack. But Shepard sets him straight. They were attacked by something resembling a T-Rex. Because why not? In space, I'm doing the real work. I get to the satellite, I power it up, and Groden and Miller come to help. There's a minor gravity mishap, thanks to Groden, and we find out that the weapons connectors are damaged. Guess who has to fix it? Me. I do the repairs. But there's a catch. Groden has to stay behind in the satellite. Back on Atlantis, 
Howling is having a chat with Weir about not wanting the city destroyed. Zelenka comes up with a computer virus to delete the database, uh, but we can only save a tiny fraction of it. Meanwhile, Bates gets attacked and the team discovers there's a wraith in the city. They capture him. They name him Bob, Shepard's idea, not mine, and try to interrogate him. Taylor attempts her <laughs> telepathy thing, but it backfires. In space, hi- the hive ships arrive. Groden fires the satellite weapon, destroying one ship, but then, because of my rerouting, the weapon overloads. The other ships take out the satellite, and Groden, well, he doesn't make it. I report back to Weir, and she starts to self-destruct. Bob, in his final moments, warn us, warns us that the Wraith will find us and Earth. Shepard, in his usual style, ends Bob's monologue. Part two. Part two. So here's the thing. I, the unparalleled genius, Dr. Rodney McKay, make my triumphant return to Atlantis. And what's the first thing Weir does? Orders the self-destruct. Typical. Just as we're about to dial the Alpha site, Earth decides to ring us up. And who walks through? A bunch of Marines, led by Colonel Dylan Everett, who, by the way, thinks he could just waltz in and take over. He's all, we're here to defend Atlantis, and they've brought all these fancy weapons. I quickly deduce that Stargate Command has found a zero-point module, and Everett confirms the Dodless is en route with it. Everett holds this big meeting, and we're the leader of Atlantis... Uh, and we are the leader of Atlantis, mind you, only gets an invite after Shepard insists. They've got these RGBBT SG guns and some really big nukes, plus a Mark II Anaquita generator, which let me tell you is a significant upgrade. After all the talking, they set up the real guns and space mines. Everett, in his infinite wisdom, tells Taylor to stay out of the way because that's going to help team morale. I managed to connect the new reactor to the weapons chair. And guess what? We're almost out of drones, drone weapons. And then out of nowhere, asteroids are heading for our mines. I quickly realized the Wraith launched them and boom, all our mines are gone and our sensors are fried. Everett and Shepard have this intense chat about the hall in the hollow room, and Everett is still mad about the whole Sumner situation. Then Wraith darts show up and the battle begins. But thanks to our defenses, we fend off the first wave, uh, but parts of the city still get hit. Shepard has this wild idea to use the puddle jumper as kamikaze's ships against the hive ships. And guess who he wants to help get the explosives from? The Janai. Taylor then bursts in, sailing that they're, saying that there are Wraith in the city. Great. Just great. Weir goes to negotiate with the Janai and they capture her, but she's smart, offers them a deal, and they get two proto- and gets two prototype nukes. Meanwhile, the Wraith are wreaking havoc in the city. And then the cherry on top, the Janai bombs are incomplete. So Zelenka and I, exhausted as we are, have to finish them. Shepard's plan works, but then we run out of Nakwada for the reactor. So Shepard, being Shepard, decides to fly the jumper into a hive ship himself. And as he is heading in, Wraith are everywhere, and Everett gets cornered. And then, as I'm watching the clock, Shepard's about to detonate the nuke. The, well, no, to be continued. To be continued. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, Britt. Yeah. This is a big one. Yeah. I, um, well, okay. First things first, because I let that cat out of the bag. I am, um... Uh, extremely interested in seeing how this resolves. Very much so. It got to the end and I audibly said, wait, what? Because I didn't realize that we were 43 minutes in <laughs> to, this, <laughs> to part two. Um, and so that then leads into the compliment of that this story was extremely engrossing. Um, th- uh, there's definitely parts that I thought didn't need to be there. I thought that that um, we are getting captured didn't need to be there. Uh, it didn't really seem to add anything. It 
what it did was it showed that the Jedi just didn't willingly give bombs. Like if we went from uh, I'm going to go convince the Jedi to hand us over our bombs to I'm back with bombs, then we wouldn't have had that interlude of that. The Jedi gave them up uh, after being jerk faces. But on the other hand, the that interlude was so short, um, especially compared to the total story that it 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 didn't it didn't work. It didn't work for me if you know, I, I'm not sure where they could have gone differently with that idea, but it felt distracting. So I didn't I didn't really care for that. But on the flip side there, I'll just comment on that real yeah. quick. On the flip side, if they had just said, hey, let's go to the Janai and they went to the Janai. Oh, and, yeah. And then the next scene was, hey, look at that. They we gave bombs. us bombs that would have felt out of place, too. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I I respect that that was tough because because another criticism of the story was that I once again was feeling like this was like a feature film story that got crammed into 90 minutes of 86 minutes of television, um, you know, like your standard feature running at least 90, uh, you know, maybe longer could have benefited from even those few extra minutes. Um, mm. But yeah. uh you know, but this wasn't it. And they were, they were trying to, they were doing a two parter and maybe, maybe it, maybe I'll feel better after I watch, you know, episode three, but, um, uh, but that was, you know, that, that was something that I had was noticing, but you know, other than that, my gosh, they pulled, they pulled out the stops, like the, 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 um, practical effects of weightlessness that they did in the satellite at first, mm, mm-hmm, I thought they did mm-hmm. a tremendous job, an absolutely tremendous job of making that visually look realistic. Um, and I was kind of noting as that was happening because, you know, I couldn't help but try to to, to look at it and go, all right, are they are, are they doing that that you know 2001: A Space Odyssey thing where they're where they're um, suspending the actor from the ceiling? And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure they're not doing that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just uh, it's just David Hewlett. Um, kind of moving his body in a way that that emulates weightlessness, and he's probably standing on something that's like moving a little bit too yeah. to help. So, you know. in fact, they talk about this in the commentary. Yeah, that they have this like parallelogram uh, box that he's standing on. Yeah, and and then you know you 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 balance there on one foot. Yep, and you kind of let the other foot kind of dangle out there, and and that just kind of gives you the the wibbly wobbliness of of being um weightless yeah and then in the appropriate scenes if you needed to you just you know erase the the parallelogram yeah and and then he's floating yep yeah no i th- i thought they did a tremendous job with that and then also uh the actors did a pretty good job with like the athleticism of it um you know to, to hold your body in certain positions to emulate as if there's absolutely no gravity uh acting on it i thought it was i thought they did a good job um and yeah, boy. So bringing it now, bringing it to the story, man. Like this was this was this was all right. Um, I I think that I saw. I, I think I was seeing a bit of a gap in the story when uh, it was revealed that the darts could suck up people like they normally do, right? So they so they sucked up the entire crew of that one uh, gun before Ford arrived and took you know took over shooting the thing. Right. And it felt like that should have been the Wraith's primary method of neutralizing the defense of the city was, you know, vacuum, you know, vacuuming all the people that are shooting the guns at them. And then, you know, that it becomes a lot harder to shoot guns when there's no people. 
Yeah. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, there were a lot of twists along the way that felt pretty uh, clever and, you know, like the astro, you know, throwing asteroids at the bomb at the mines, I thought was a nice unexpected development. Like, it's like, oh, OK, clever. You know, mm-hmm. like like they, 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 they detected these things and they decided to use uh, space rocks to, <laughs> to take care <laughs> yeah. of it. That's yeah. that's pretty effective. All right. Um, I thought that the asteroids were going to be hurled towards the planet like, oh, no, but they didn't want to destroy the gate. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, like that was, it was it was fairly well thought out. There was there was parts about it that I was like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit wibbly wobbly on. But overall, I, I really, really liked it. And um, there's I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about about the uh, characters and or the acting necessarily. Uh, this this didn't really advance many characters because it didn't need to. This is this is this is the this is the story of what the heck's going to happen. Like, right. How the heck are they going to get out of this? And I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I uh, hope that we have an armada show up because that would be really cool. Um, just saying. That's all I'm saying. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's doing a proper cliffhanger. It's 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 making me really want to see the next episode big time. And I enjoyed I enjoyed the trip as we got there. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, once again, but unexpected or, you know, to be expected, um, Aiden Ford kind of doesn't really have a lot going on other than running to spots and shooting guns. Yep. Um, uh, Unfortunately, even Taylor doesn't really have a lot to do because even even her like one moment of being a complete nutter, just like awesome, awesome hero gets, um, gets beaten down because her superpower is ineffective against the Wraith in the room. Um, I, I would have liked to see that scene directed a little differently where the Wraith was a lot more afraid because this is unknown stuff, right? You know? Yeah. Mm. They, they figured out that she was doing that because they were, they were reverse doing it. Um, you know, in that sense, it's not, it's not completely foreign, but on the other hand, this dude has been cut off from, well, no, they tell, they communicate telepathically, right? So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, I would have liked her to have more power in that moment than she did. Uh, you can still have the same, the same situation of her getting thrown off. Like you can have your, your super awesome, powerful hero be thwarted. That's a thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was kind of an instant shake off. And so that didn't really feel all that good. And, um, you know, our main characters, they 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 kept in line. They did like I think that um, McKay, uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think that Shepard is quite the, you know, the number one character that that Joe Flanagan's billing puts him in. Uh, I think that McKay is actually kind of showing up to be the one who has the more interesting and more engaging things to do with the story um you know that might change and that certainly wasn't true the whole season but i'm just acknowledging like in the past several episodes it's 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 been like mckay who's actually the person who is really moving the thing in good directions sure um i'm really really happy that zelenka is getting more time like it's it's really fun having those two on screen together it's working really well uh i hope that that continues but yeah, so overall, I liked it. That's for sure. And I'm very, very interested in watching, seeing when it, when it concludes. Uh, so that's where I'm at. What about you? What do you think of this episode? So, yeah, like you, I like this episode. I will say that um, 
every time I have watched this episode, and this is no exception, I get frustrated with the laziness of the introduction of Colonel Everett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, he's just, he's like, uh, he, he is as two-dimensional as your television colonel who you've never seen is. Yeah. Uh, it is just, and, and it's, it's, it's annoying, it's off-putting, it makes me want to have bad thoughts toward military people, and that's not good. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, because it is a caricature. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, I mean, I, I've never been in the military. I'll acknowledge that. Uh, and so those of you who are in the military, if, if this actually is an accurate representation of a guy like this, then please come and correct me. Uh, but it just felt, uh, yeah, this again. Yeah. Um, you know, especially since we got that exact same feeling and tone from Sumner in the first episode. Yeah, we don't need to bookend it. Um, now, I will say that uh, in previous watchings, I kind of was just angry at the portrayal of Everett from the very beginning. Yeah. And didn't think that he did enough to give him depth uh, as the episode went on. This time around, I think I was being overly harsh on him. Oh, sure. Uh, I think that that uh, the character does broaden out, does get some more depth, um, and it becomes, you know, less problem. I think, you know, I think I was being overly harsh in the past. I still think that his introduction is 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 something that that's not, you know, that, that could have been done better. And I'm not talking about uh, Landy's performance. No, no, no. Uh, I know what I'm you're talking saying. about uh, the writing and the the directing and you know it's like surely there is a way to convey a guy coming in here taking control um and and certainly in this situation he needed to without being um just it sounds like he doesn't actually know what he's getting into yes um it feels like he doesn't actually and and then we 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 kind of get some of that later on with this character when he's like, no, we're going to use all of the mines out there. And then they all blow up. And you can see Shepard's face like, I told you so. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't say it, which is good. And, of course, you see it on, on Landy's face, uh, you know, on Everett's face there, um, when, when he's like, well, that didn't go as planned. Um, I really wish I could have saved some of those bombs, but I didn't. This is a problem. Uh, you know, his... So you saw that in his face, but you know, we you know if you were going to take out that Janai stuff, yeah, um, then this is the area where I would have wanted to see it spent in in fleshing out, um, fleshing out that process. It it needed more, and we didn't get it, and yep. and that makes me bummed. The I I respect how the story had a fine line to walk on that one. What was trying to be said there, and I know you know this, was uh, not so much that the cavalry has arrived. That's the Daedalus. That's the Daedalus. Daedalus. Whatever. Daedalus. Daedalus. That's the Daedalus. That's the cavalry. This is the spearhead. Um, and the thing that I think was a little off-putting was the notion that um, that the leadership was dismissed the minute that they walked through. 
And it created the tension that later played out a little bit of how actually dismissing the leadership is probably a poor choice because they have been here for the they they know the situation better than you. Uh, and that's the thing that's probably not accurate that that um, uh, that that kind of intelligence would have been respected in the room as vital to the success of a spearhead holding off an enemy for four days while while the cavalry rides in. And uh, part of the fine line was also conveying that the spearhead was not walking in blind. The spearhead was apprised as best as it could be with the information that was transmitted, you know, a few episodes, several episodes ago with that little burst. Um, And so the emotion that needed to be conveyed in that moment, if I were to rewrite that or redirect it, I would have tried to strike that balance of of um, this is not a change of leadership that's happening here. This is very much the establishment of a beachhead. Um, This is uh, this is a, um, you know, imagine the uh, the Battle of Dunkirk in World War Two. Instead of it being a purely defensive retreat, imagine that it was a um, uh, a resurging counteroffensive, uh, you know, in the midst of the thing where you've got you've got uh, army personnel that are trying to ba- that are that are backed up to a point uh, being assisted by civilians. So you still have that kind of that mixture problem there going on. Right. But then you have this strong force that you have confidence will be able to actually perhaps stand toe to toe, but they're not here yet. And so you have your advanced force who have the almost hopeless task of slowing that advance down long enough for the strength to arrive. That was the the idea. Obviously, that was the idea, but it didn't come across like that. It came across like this was the strength that arrived and that would have been okay. Right. We didn't necessarily have to have a siege part three. Not necessarily. Right. right. I would have been just a, I could have believed just as much if they walked through the gate carrying weaponry and or knowledge and or something, you know, like something that uh, would allow for the city to push off three hive ships and everything that's on board of it. And still have the threat looming. It was mentioned in the episode. Just because we push back wave one doesn't mean that they're going to push them back forever. They're just going to keep coming with more and more ships. Like, that would have been okay. And in that sense, yes, the cavalry has arrived. You know what I mean? Like, you could have done it that way. But it was the combo. And it, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But it was delivered in a way that put you off. And I thought was a character caricature as well. It didn't help any. I don't know what they did with the overdubbing. Like, they, they, they did not, apparently they didn't capture, um, uh, the actor who plays Everett. Like I could hear that they had to overdub. Oh, so, so here's what happened. Yeah. Uh, they talked about this in, in the, uh, the commentary, like all of that equipment that was coming through the gate behind yeah. Yeah. was just super noisy uh-huh. and loud and just too much clacking and banging and screeching and all of that stuff. And so basically that entire audio was not useful yeah uh, and they had to redo all of it and they actually talked about this and that 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 the dubbing is is an art form that uh is a real challenge for some people yes so yeah yeah there there you go yep yeah anyway, I would, okay so like i would have liked to see like we recognize this like once once shepherd pushes back and says you know basically if you want my support you can't throw her out right 
to about Weir. Um, it's it's not it's not that blatant. Um, but it's darn close. Yes. Um, but you know, up until that point, he, uh, you know, Everett had basically assumed that everybody who was at Atlantis up until this point was utterly incompetent. Yeah. And he needed to step in there and fix the problem that they screwed it up and he's going to come in and fix it. And, you know, from a, a public relations standpoint, um, and, you know, this is, at this moment, it is. That, that's, that's, that's a terrible place to begin. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, it reinforces the stereotype that has been placed in my mind through TV shows and movies that, and, and the army recruiter, when I was an 18-year-old, mm-hmm. <laughs> who said, Oh, we're not just a bunch of dumb guys with guns. Are you saying that? is not helping your cause. Mm, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that the army is a bunch of big... It's not, they're not. Right. But, but you know, what can we do to, to paint in our entertainment pictures of... Uh, this is true with military people. It's true with uh, politicians. It's true with uh, uh, religious people. Uh, that, that creates not a a continual development of the least common denominator stereotype and create uh, rich pictures and complexities of who these people are in their various occupations. And it can be done if it's done, you know, like, like smartly, even with characters who aren't main characters, mm-hmm. right? Like, like Shepard uh, even Ford, to some degree, he's been underdeveloped. But then, and then, of course, you look at Carter and and O'Neill and Hammond and such. There's all sorts of pictures of of military people who are um, very competent and compassionate, and and they're willing to take charge, and they're also able to to you know you know the, the, their their three dimensionality is there, uh, and this is a character. Because he's he's a main character in this episode, and spoiler, he's going to be a main character in at least the Siege Part Three. Yeah, I just spoiled sure. that for you, but who cares? Yeah, uh, you know. So, but if that's the case, then do the work, people, to make him a three dimensional character. And and I felt that they were lazy on that uh, when he first came in, and they could have, and I I argue. They should have done better. Yeah. Um, now that said, uh, the overall picture of of uh, Colonel Everett was not as as grotesque as I recall from previous watchings. Mm-hmm. So, um, some of this is also my own biases playing a role in this too, and I will own those. Yeah. Um. But it's important. We've talked about this before. It's important for a storyteller to know their audience, right? Yeah. Like if if um, if your audience is going to be the kind of people that that shout hoorah at the screen when the Marines show up, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like that's an avenue. But um, there's a tension that is common in science fiction between military and civilian. And yeah. Stargate has played with that tension quite deliberately. It, it 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 was a major feat part of the movie um 
Like it's it's a point of the story. And in 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 Atlantis, you literally I mean, even more so than than SG one. Yeah. You have that uh, dichotomy of civilian and military together uh, dealing with each other and working with each other and figuring out that, you know, they, they look at things differently, but they have to work together uh, to make this thing work. And I think that the story probably would have helped you feel a little bit better if what was happening, if what the situation was, is that instead of perhaps having one wraith in the city, you know, again, this is a city the size of Manhattan. This is huge. Um, you can have a cell. Uh, you can even have a hundred. You can even have a couple hundred of wraith in the city and have them be undetected. Because if it's if, if this is the size of a Manhattan island and your expedition is 200 people, mostly based in a central tower, um, it's very realistic to imagine that you don't have any control over entire sections of the city. And if what was happening was that those wraith, uh, that wraith advanced guard was sent to sweep the city clean, like that would be tense in and of itself. You would have, yes. you know, you, you could have the siege reference, you know, you could have part one of the siege be the siege of a building and then part two of the siege be the siege of the city and have the have your heroes with their backs against the wall trying to fend off these these couple hundred or maybe even more um, wraith that have infiltrated the city. It's plausible. It's dire. And then the gate dials up, right? And then instead of having, uh, you know, Marines with their gear and we're going to take over now, you have them coming in hot and they help repel the first siege. And then you can have a bit more appreciation when they start barking their military jargon and such like that. And then you can still have that tension in there because emotions can be high. You know what I mean? Like you, you have the recipe for. Uh, for a little bit of aggression, uh, you know, it, it, verbal aggression between the military side and the civilian side that 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 makes sense and doesn't feel like it's a little out of place. And it certainly doesn't feel like the military dudes are like coming on in and bonk, 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 we're going to charge now. Like, right. it, it's a bit more organic and dynamic. And then you can still exact you can you can have yourself in the exact same place where um, now you're setting up guns around the city uh and and you're about ready to fend off the 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 hive ship arrival. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could be in the, the exact you know, same spot like you need to be. The the ultimately it comes down to uh, Everett's assumption walking in is that these civilians were incompetent uh, because he walks in and immediately says, "I'm in charge. Shut up." And then when they say, "Hey, you know, like, do you have any? Like, do you have any idea what's going on? Like, you have three wraith hive ships bearing down on your position. Well, we actually blew one. Up. Well, good for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just uh, you made my job easier. Uh, you know that that type of stuff. Just is that the person that O'Neill would have sent into this place? Uh, you know, I just, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't military people like that. I'm just saying that. I don't uh, know. Well, what you're saying is that it rubbed you the wrong way. It rubbed me the wrong way. I yeah, didn't and- like it. And I think that that is probably more realistic than what you're giving it credit for. Yeah, maybe. Um, that that but, could be. And, uh, but I don't think that it's necessarily coming from a position of, of assuming incompetence. It's just coming from a position of, yeah, you did your part and you did your part really well. But your part is not to kill people and blow up things. That's my job. So that's what's going to happen now. We're going to start killing people and blowing things up. Right. But and, and I guess, you know, this is. This is part of my now. Now, yeah, dear listener, you're you're hearing some of my <laughs> hangups with 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 uh, uh, aggression and and military power. Uh, it, it's just that <sighs> there there is a time and a place 
for blowing things up. Um, I need my military leaders to recognize that just because you're a hammer does not mean everything is a nail. Yeah. Uh, also recognize that um, the it, it, it was the dictatorial. This is what you know is the, the the dictatorial way he came in here and said, "I'm now in charge. Mm-hmm. Screw you." Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of behavior, whether it's accurate or not, I guess. Um, I and, uh, yeah, I, no, uh, is right. is evil to me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It's it, it's it's evil behavior. I'm not saying that Everett was evil. That behavior is evil. Yeah. Which is what it just, it's like, I can't root for that guy. Sure. So, okay. Uh, I, I have spoken way more <laughs> than I should have on this. Um, uh, I thought the, the visual effects in this episode were really, really good. Mm-hmm. I thought that the tension, uh, I mean, for, for 90 minutes to just continually ratchet that tension up, have a few moments of release, but then yeah. build it back yeah. up. And, and hold that for 90 minutes is very difficult to do. And they did that. They did that well. Um, you know, we, we got to see a, a lot of the city, uh, you know, so the, 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 the shot from, you know, we're in this place, then we're pulling out, and then we're zipping over here, we're pulling in to see just the breadth of things. Um, you know, it just, uh, it, it, it really broadened the scope of things that was going on. Uh, it felt... Uh, imperiled, um, yeah. you know. I and you know. I remember watching this the first time, the very end, uh, where it kind of ends on, on a, a, a subtle note here, right? It just kind of ends on 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 Shepard saying, "Okay, I'm I'm going in." Um, and you know, generally, I want my my cliffhangers to be Mister Worf fire, yeah. <laughs> Type yeah. of things, and this wasn't it, and and so like in the past, I I, I did kind of like eh, I mean I appreciate the cliffhanger, and I wanted to see what happened next, but it it felt like the the cliffhanger lost a little bit of punch in the past. But this watching, uh, I didn't feel that way. I I, mm-hmm. I, I really just kind of appreciated the 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 more subtle um, tension of that moment um, of just saying that's it, that's what we're waiting for. Oh, um, uh, yeah. In my opinion, I I liked it. I'm also uh, in my 40s, like uh, right, like uh, I was sucked into the story when that's when that's when that heavy moment of okay, here we go to be continued happened. I literally was like, I I audibly was like, no, no, hey, no, <laughs> don't, don't stop, don't quit. Ah! <laughs> well, you I texted know, I you mean, immediately. Texted me, so yes. What? <laughs> 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 Brent doesn't normally text me his immediate reactions after an episode like that. No. So, um, you know, I normally have to wait for uh, you to start talking in while we're recording to hear what you have to say. Yeah. But uh, uh, he gave me something a little bit more yesterday when he had finished watching that. Yep. So, yep. Um, I'm trying to think if there is anything. So I want to um, respond, I think, to you mentioned about Taylor. Wanting her to have a little bit more yes. effectiveness. Yes. So I can totally appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to push back on it a little bit. Sure. Uh, because we only just realized oh, last yeah. week yeah. that she's got this power. Yeah. Not yeah. only that, it's not just like last week and then we watched that two weeks ago. 
Yeah. So it's, we've been sitting in this for a long time, but in character, oh, we're it's talking just happened. about yeah. maybe 48 hours. Yeah. You know, it, it has been very, very little time. So she's giving this a go, but it hasn't gone well any other time she's done. She's picked up a yeah, little bit a, here and there. That's a fair point. Um, and now she's staring at this guy in the face. And, you know, I appreciate the attempt. Um, but I also appreciate that, you know, and I would have loved to her to see her succeed. Um, and I think that would have been plausible. But also, it, 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 the, the fact that she didn't really succeed... Um, is uh very realistic to me and it, it makes sense given that this is a person who you know has been living with this for mere moments you know in my imagined rewrite when i when i'm talking about how you know you have a couple hundred wraith in the city sieging the central tower and then you have mm-hmm. your Marines come through to to repel it which would have been i thought pretty cool i think you probably could have used that moment to set up um you could have had Taylor succeed in a, in a, you know, she, she just finds out that there's actually a couple hundred and you know what I mean? Like, like, and it's, it's, it's technically a success, but it's not like this overwhelming success. It's this, it's this, she's able to get inside her mind and then all of a sudden, oh no, like, Holy, sure. holy cow yeah. like you know yeah. and then, and that's the reveal that's that's how we suddenly realize that the city is flooding with them and that you know we have a different problem and it's now and like oh my god like you know like everything that we thought that we had to do is is still happening there's still right wraith ships arriving and now we have this thing here too ah! you know like i thought that would have been cool if they if that had gone that right direction um, so like given what we know about the wraith i think that would have had to rewrite kind of some of the st- the 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 uh, story they arc got there. of the season, sure. Um, because if you had two hundred wraith on the base, plausible as it might be, um, I mean that by itself would have been your cliffhanger. That by itself would have been your big problem, not the three wraith hive ships. Um, three wraith hive ships and two hundred troops on the ground. Um, our heroes Pretty are epic. toast. Epic. Our epic. heroes are toast. Uh, do you, you know, <laughs> g- g- given what it takes to kill one of those wraith. Well, that's fair. That's right? very fair. Um, two hundred versus yeah, two hundred plus a hive ship. We're toast. Our heroes do not come out of that with with a win. That's uh, fair. I mean, they might not come out with an L, but they don't win. They yeah. don't win that. Now, that would have been its own story, which would have been fascinating and and on all that stuff. But there you go. It's not this story. It's not this story. Um, and we have to talk about this story. Uh, to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's um, rules. Yeah. Uh, I think overall, I, I, I like this story. I think it's a really good cliffhanger. Um, it's a good way to draw upon everything we've seen uh, in this season leading up to this point. Um, without, you know, it's like, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of character development here uh, because we don't have to. This is the episode when we take all of that character development that has happened. Yeah. And we inserted into a stressful situation yep of you know epic proportions and i think that they did a pretty good realistic job of having that those characters react to this stressful situation yes i would agree um a side note mm-hmm. um uh, uh david hewlett was at least for the filming of the first episode uh i don't know exactly probably just the first one uh he probably would have gotten 
back up, but he had some major uh, stomach stuff going on. Oh. Uh, he was like, so like when they had close up of his shot and he was in his spacesuit and he was kind of like panicking and all yeah. of that stuff and his face was ghost white. Yes. That's because he was sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I hear those stories and I, I, I had never really had a uh, desire to be an actor. You know, not really. But, you know, you put yourself in. I put myself in those types of shoes. of like, yeah, I wonder what it's like to do that. And then you hear these stories of how, like, unfortunately, when what you're trying to portray is distress, if what you are actually experiencing in real life is distressful, <laughs> Then the director's like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep shooting. <laughs> and you're stuck acting with a stomach bug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so there you go. Yep. Um, so recognizing our time constraints, Brent, we need yes. to pivot. Yes. Uh, which means this is when I ask you um, yeah. to lay out this episode in Chevron ratings. Yep. So I, as I was alluding to, I did like this story. Uh, I did think that there was a couple of holes in it. Um, I, I'm i not quite as hung up with the Marine arrival as you are, which sounds bad. I don't quite mean it bad. I'm just acknowledging like I didn't that didn't jam this story quite as hard for me as it, it sounds like it jammed it for you. Uh, but it was not smooth. Um, I thought that they could have done a little bit better with that for sure. But overall, I'm excited to see what happens next. Now, that's going to, in my opinion, give a bit of an artificial bump to this thing that I am excited for what happens next. I can't tell you if we rewatch this show again, if I will feel as magnanimous toward it um, after we watch the conclusion of this story. You know what I mean? Like right now, mm -hmm. it's got the charm of I'm not sure how this is going to resolve. Um I know there are several seasons of Atlantis. I assume the city survives, but I got to tell you, I don't know. I've, I've kept myself spoiler free enough of, of you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe 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 Atlantis's seasons two through whatever we got left um, take place somewhere else or talk about the rebuilding of it. I don't know. You know, it could mm -hmm. it, we could lose in this one and still succeed in the sense of that. We, we live to fight another day. Um, I don't I don't know. We'll find out. So I liked the story. I liked even though I'm ready for the next part of it, I liked how it ended. Um, I thought the characters did a fine job with what they were given. Uh, I thought the story was solid enough. Uh, the hiccups, I didn't think were that detrimental. I wasn't a big fan of the tiny, tiny, like diversion of the Janai. Like I get it. Um, it's not, I'm not hypercritical, but mm. so out of seven, this is a six. I think I worry that upon a rewatch, I might think of more of it of a five or a four. Cause maybe those weak spots really are weak. But right now, they're not that weak for me. So I'm enjoying it. So six out of seven for me. What about you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I enjoy this episode. Uh, I, yes, I have hangups with uh, especially the beginning of, of Everett's reveal. Yeah. And all of that. Um, uh, but I think that uh, it's um, I wouldn't say it's remedied quickly, but it is, you know, it, they were able to move beyond that from my perspective. Yeah. So, um, there's that. Uh, I I would say that this episode holds up on future watchings. Um, you know, for me right now, I can remember. I remember the the broad strokes of the next episode. I don't remember all of the specifics of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm remembering like like the the two part episode that I remember 
really delving into as a young person was Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2. Yep. Uh, end of Season 3, beginning of Season 4 of Next Generation. And um, this, the, the second half of that doesn't hold a candle to this tension that is revealed at the end of the, thir- the, the, the first half of it. Yes. Um, but it also doesn't um, diminish uh, that tension of it. Right. So this episode, I think, in, in a similar way, I can't remember exactly how it ends uh, or how it, you know, everything is resolved specifically. I know the broad strokes. Um, but even knowing that, setting that, you know, it, it this episode still holds up. Yeah. Uh, good. So with it, but is it a perfect episode? No. Um, is it the, the height of television? No. <laughs> Neither is Bane. That's oh, I story. completely disagree. But anyway, oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that, I think that I am going to agree with you and give this a six. Yeah, very seven. nice. Yeah. So uh, we have some Facebooks. Yeah. And I know I'm we have some discords this. and some emails. Yep. So let's yep. get yep. started on these Facebooks. here. Yeah. All right. We start with Kim. Hi, Kim. Kim says. Zach, feel free to edit anything you feel might be spoilers. Okay. <laughs> Editing on the fly. All right. So Kim says, my favorite Atlantis episode so far. Oh, yeah. We have okay. Stargate Command sending in the uh, artillery and troops to save the day. And, well, that doesn't go quite as planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor Four doesn't seem he didn't get to show us his true worth, did he? Yeah. Right. Um, uh, to me, this is an eight. Ooh, oh. She predicts eight for Brent. Oh, why? Since there will be some uh, stuff to digest, so much to digest, like his bagel. <laughs> and she predicts a seven for me. Yeah. We liked it. Not, not quite to that degree, I mean, though. I, I did have a very tasty everything bagel oh. this morning. And I since had, I went to the, the bagel store yesterday, it was a fresh bagel. Ah, uh, very, Never very been nice. frozen. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was mm, very tasty. I had uh, lef- leftover calzone. Uh, well, that sounds tasty, too. Oh, boy, was it ever. I loved it. Yep. All right. Uh, Paul is next. Hi, Paul. Paul says, I'm still working my way through. I just listened to Atlantis episode Childhood's End. I believe Zach will give this episode a seven, and so will Brent. Oh. Oh, very oh, close. Very close. The two-part episodes seem to be really up their alley lately, especially with the SGC backing up Atlantis. It will make an epic two-parter. Yeah. And it was an epic two-parter. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but I'm going to stick with my six. Okay. <laughs> and then we have Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Adrian says, oh, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. This is the Alamo. Yes. Yes. Highlights for me. The ancient satellite that was set up many episodes ago. Cool. Yeah. The fact that they managed to take out one hive ship in part one. Yes. Right. The red shirt does not draw the short straw. Yes. (laughs) The cavalry arrives just in time. The fight over Atlantis with the rail guns. Those rail guns are pretty cool. They are cool. Yep. Um, By the way, with all of those machine guns, as they're filming that stuff, uh, they could literally hear and feel it like two stages over. Oh, wow. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, anyway, uh, Adrian continues. 
they are all losing despite having reinforcements towards the end. Only option, suicide bomber and... Ah! Mm-hmm. That's how the season ends? Will Shepard survive <laughs> a nuclear bomb? Will Ford survive the... Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Wraith? Will McKay survive the Wraith attack? Will Taylor answer the radio? All will be answered in part three. Uh-huh. I can't imagine this being other than an eight from both. Ha! <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Only flaws I can think of is the coincidences and things happening just at the right time, but surely that's just television. That, that's true. It is just television. Um, so, thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you. Uh, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. It's finally here! The showdown with the Wraith! After I settled down and made sure my surround sound was ready, I sat down and took a few notes. Mm-hmm. Number one, the episode we, where we first see the satellite was so long ago, I barely remember it. I think it was episode 12, and now we are on 19? <laughs> you know, Bates has a point. There is still oh, yeah. a lot to learn about Taylor's Wraith abilities. Like, if they can backdoor their way into her mind without her initiating the connection... That's all true. The, the question for my money is not whether or not his statements are true. It's that, uh, or his concerns are true. It's that he's, he's a jerk about conveying it. And here's the thing. When you are a jerk to try to convey something to somebody else who is, un, uh, who is not initially willing to hear you out, you will not get a good response. Mm-hmm. That's how human brains work. It's so, true. Um, so, okay. Uh, number three. Okay, Bates might have a point, but he also happens to be a giant jerk. <laughs> so, so he, he uses, uh, he, he does keep it, um, you know, PG, but he also uses, um, Yes, I would agree with you on that. If you want to know what Kevin actually says there, ah! by all means, go to the Facebooks and read it. Um, so, number four. That's impressive. The Wraith was able to hit multiple targets without even aiming the stunner. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, yep. he's got special. Vox stands for Voice Operated Exchange. I see why they used the acronym. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number six. What are you doing? Uh, is how I wish I could greet my uh, uh, so what are you doing is how I wish I could greet my co-workers I, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah fair, fair enough fair enough number seven <clears throat> Shepard just straight up murdered that wraith at least Dr. Beckett will have some fresh samples yeah, assuming Atl- Atlantis survives true yeah, yeah. number eight Ten hours sure is a heck of a self-destruct time. I remember in the early SG-1 episodes, they would wet the self-destruct every time uh, there was an incoming wormhole, and it was something short, like 60 seconds or something. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Number nine. That guy that Taylor is sparring with is actually James Bamford, the stunt and fight coordinator for Atlantis and Universe. Fun oh. fact, he also did stunt work on the dumpster fire that is Catwoman. Interesting. There you go. I knew that he was the stunt coordinator for the shows. I didn't know that he had done stuff with Catwoman. Yeah. Number 10, Shepard is ready to finish his suicide mission. 
Taylor might be dead, Ford and his team are surrounded, McKay, Beckett, and Dr. Weir are helpless, and Colonel Everett is at the mercy of a wraith. Hope you are ready for season two, Brent. Oh, boy. I'm just going to go for it. I predict sevens. Oh. All in all, it's been a crazy fun season, and I can't wait to rewatch part three. Enjoy your break. See you at the season recaps. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we didn't give it sevens. No. Nope. We gave it a pair of sixes. Yep. Uh, Rowan is next. Hi, Rowan. This two-part season finale has three Wraith Hive ships. No, no, wait, make, wait, make that, that two Wraith yep. Hive ships of yep. tension built up. Rodney in a spacesuit, the heroic death of Peter Grodin, yep. enforcements from Earth, reinforcements from Earth, the Janai, Wraith in Atlantis, but we'll have to wait until next season for the dramatic payoff. Yeah. Yep. Brent will have a hard time rating these episodes without knowing where it's going. That's fair. Yep. But we'll give them the benefit of the doubt with a five. Oh, yeah, close. Well, yeah, close. Uh, you know, the, the, I think all of that is true except the final number. Yes, yes. Yep. yep. Uh, Zach knows the payoff, but will acknowledge that these episodes don't stand well on their own and give them a five and a half. Also close. Very close. These episodes have an IMDb rating of 8.3 and 8.6, which is yeah. a five and a half and six chevrons, respectively. Yeah putting them in the top 25% and top 10% of Stargate episodes overall. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, these these are solid episodes. Yep. Um uh and and well worth the ratings that that people um are giving them. Uh but for me and my money on this day, I stick with what I have. Those yes. are our Facebooks. Yeah, okay. On the, Discord. on the Discords, we have Sean. Hi Sean. Hi Sean. Sean says, Bates actually made a valid point about Taylor and no one knowing if the Wraith can access her mind. Bad leadership shooting his point down. Often, it seems like Shepard favors Taylor, but then he reprimanded her when punching Bates later. Did Bates experience beige at the hand of Taylor? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, Bates yes, he did. did. Yes, he did. Great filming in the well, zero G. To be fair, um, Taylor probably experienced some beige before she hit him. Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's, there's a lot of beige all around. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, which also then tells me, and also uh, Sean uh, spelt it correctly too. So Sean knows exactly what we're talking about. This is one. Yeah. So uh, Sean continues. Great filming of the zero G scenes was trying to work out how that was done. Uh, I'm thinking he was upside down, right? Well, Zach told us it was the parallelogram box. Yep. I'm glad to see Ford being included more. Yeah. Yep. Wait. So the Janai just gave Dr. Weir their nuclear bombs and didn't send anyone back with them. Right. That's a decent point. P.S. Let's uh, let's not wait for, uh, too long for part three. I was so tempted to watch it straight after. So Sean predicts. Uh huh. Seven chevrons all around for this one. Very oh, close. Very close. Very close. Uh, he writes a P.P.S. Surely Atlantis should have an extra ZPM already due to the Mobius episode. Uh, wouldn't they have found the uh, ZPM before the Atlantis expedition? Uh, surely, uh, the words is written. Surely Atlantis should have an extra ZPM already due to the Mobius episode. Right. I see what he's saying. Shouldn't they already have found the ZPM before the Atlantis expedition? So, so this particular ZPM was not discovered until about a month before, uh, the episode, um, reckoning and threads. Right. Uh, in the timeline of things. So with that, um, I mean, yes, it had been sitting there for a very long time, but, the the ZPM wasn't discovered until very very recently. Uh, so given the timeline, 
uh, know uh, that ZPM wouldn't have somehow managed it, made its way back to uh, Atlantis. Yes. There you go. Yes. All right. So thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. We have uh, Helio here. Hey, Helio. Hi, Helio. Lots of action on these two parts. The fight scenes were very good. I like the satellite stuff. Just the part where before enabling gravity, McKay pulls the Nakwita generator by the cord without attaching himself to anything uh, and didn't move like it was like if it was didn't move like if there was gravity for him, but not for the generator. I let it pass. Right. I, I think I know what scene you're talking about. I let it pass in favor of the scientist that zapped a hive ship and died just after. Rest in peace. OK, let's explore everything and get out of here. Wait. Elizabeth, you have a long distance call from Earth. It's me, Colonel. Uh, I know uh, it's me, Colonel. I know all you don't matter. <laughs> yes. We will take care of everything. Just bring a coffee, please. Dr. Weir. Oh, she- uh, oh, Shepard is in uh, is in insubordination. Uh, so much stuff to talk about. I love there's. I love there's more action and space for the secondary actors to appear. As always, uh, Carlson is hilarious. Um, uh, Carl Carson. Uh, Carson. Carson. As always, Carson is hilarious. Also, Zelensky and McKay, uh, the whining of McKay uh, and Zelensky is nice. Uh, it's also nice how uh, the colonel becomes a better person at the end when Shepard will have to will Shepard uh, when Shepard will have to die to save Atlantis or will he? I gave these two episodes seven all around because there's so much stuff that there's no time to digest everything. I could use my friends chat GPT and Baird to help out, uh, but uh, need to take care of the kids as my free time ended when they woke up. See you next time. Oops. That's not trademarked, is it? Nope, it's not. It's not. So, uh, so Elio gives it sevens. I suspect he implied that we would give it sevens. We would also give it sevens. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Very close. Very close, Elio. Thank you, Elio. Thank you. And then lastly, we got uh, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Carrie says, hi, Brent. Or hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. I don't see a post saying the predictions are over. Oh, yeah, this was uh, this was about an hour ago. Right. Good job. So hopefully I am not too late. I give seven chevrons and predict the same for both of you. Uh I might be a bit prejudiced because I've watched the whole series of Atlantis more times uh, than I have SG one. Uh, weightless episodes Uh, loved all the action and the tension where we we are left with until the next season. I watched both shows when they were on sci-fi network and those season cliff cliff season ending cliffhangers were so brutal having to wait months to find out what happened. Hope you both had a nice breakfast. I had delicious taco. Nice. Delicious tacos. Ooh, taco breakfast. I heartily approve. Anyway, have a great rest of your day, says Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. A little, little high, but understandable. And thus endeth the predictions. Okay. And so what do we got in the emails? We have uh, start with Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. She says, greetings for a two part finale that has different writing credits for each episode. It works well enough. Mm-hmm. Bringing in the conflict from the gift in part one makes sense. It moves the plot forward and keeps Taylor relevant. Roden going out in such a heroic way is rare for a character of eight ish episodes. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Yes, uh, in part two, the antagonistic attitude of Colonel Everett is predictable and boring. Yes. Yep. Uh, We've seen this in Stargate before. His hubris is going to get everyone killed unless our heroes can save the day. Wait, that's where we started. Uh Uh-huh. What's he doing here then? (laughs) Oh, right. He brought the big guns that make the battle over Atlantis and epic visuals spectacular. Fair enough. She predicts Brett will give this a six. Oh, yes. And Zach, a six and a half. Oh, oh Lydia, so you're close. so close. 
Oh, well done. Very close. Well done, Liddy Ann. And finally, we have David with his Chevron encoding by Blammo Kerpow. <laughs> pew, 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 boom. <laughs> that blowed up real good. Hi, hi, David. <laughs> hi, David. All right. Part one, smaller but important story. Did it really need to be a part one, though? It stood on its own as we already knew the Wraith were coming. Maybe the gift should have been part one. Uh, it just seems like they made it a two-parter only because SG-1 had a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, I think part of what this is going on here is, uh, you know, I mean, we've had Deep Space Nine, which at the end of Deep Space Nine had, you know, an eight-part story arc, um, which is kind of what these episodes, last few episodes have been. Yeah. But it hasn't quite become the truly serialized stuff that we get in future stuff. And so this is kind of somewhere sitting in the middle. Yeah. It's right. it's trying to figure itself out. Yeah. All right. For part two, the Marines are here and they brought big guns. Yay. Yes. Drama, interpersonal conflict, motivation, guns and explosions. Shepard does, uh, Shepard does Russell from Independence Day to save the day and to be continued. Yep. Oh, no. I hope the lead actor from our show does not die. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this person whose face is on the front of the box cover does not perish. Yes. All right. He says, I liked part two more than part one, but I did like part one. Brent, seven chevrons all around, but he probably liked part one better because it was more of a personal and character driven story rather than just explosions and stuff. I mean, that's a fairer read. And I did like the explosions and stuff this time around. Yeah. Uh, Zach, give it seven chevrons for the drama and for how Major Marine totally underestimated everything. Now, frankly, uh, Major Marine, main, you know, actually Colonel Marine, uh, doing all the <laughs> Colonel Marine stuff that he does, probably uh, certainly dropped it a half a point, if not a whole point. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says, my dad was a major in the Marine Corps and not at all like that guy. Oh, good. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. So those are our predictions. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Okay, Brent. Yeah. So this is the time when we shift gears to the next episode. Yeah. And David said he wasn't going to send us a promo. Yes. And I demanded that he send us a promo. Yes. And so he sent us a promo of what's coming next. Yes. And so I think we need to dispense with your prediction because... This is just such so big. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for this promo? Yes. I am ready for this promo. Play now. Uh A lion. Okay. A person. Uh huh. Right. The key to the past. Uh huh. Okay. A man. I like that guy. The door to the future. Uh huh. Another man. Different man. The passage to discovery. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh oh. They're walking toward the light with, with with guns. They it's get about guns. to be entered. There's a circle. Hey! Oh my gosh! Whoa! Oh, oh boy! Oh, 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 oh. Boobs and, and things and guns. sweeping and guns and oh. what? what? Oh. oh my god! Flying! I've never seen that before. Hey, it looks like a buffalo. <laughs> oh, he died! Oh, he's dead! Oh, oh, he got flown! Oh my gosh! That's a big stone door. Behold! Behold. Oh, 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 oh! Okay, okay, all right. Uh, beware! Beware! Okay. Oh, oh, there's there's Egyptians. Okay, running, right. yep. running. Believe. Believe. Okay. Oh, little um, children. Oh, yeah. They're running down a hill. Yep. Oh, okay. oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. What do oh, we my got? gosh. 
What? Stargate! Oh, what? This, this fall? fall? Oh, oh, this movie looks gosh. good. <laughs> wow. I can't wait to see this. <laughs> I have got to watch this. This is going to be amazing. Oh, man. I can't. I can only imagine what kind of a magical world this is going to take place in. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> oh, dear. That's good. Good oh, stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, Brent. Yeah. Um, this has this brings the end of season one of Atlantis. And last yeah. week we came to the end of season uh, eight of SG One. Yes. And uh, as is typical, uh, uh, we will be shifting gears now to do some recaps. Yes. Um, I think next week we are going to. Uh, not do the recap next week if if all goes as planned uh we've got some other things that we're uh, gonna do yep um so there'll be a little bit of time we're not planning to take a long break no. here between this and what's coming next we're planning yes. to run into what's next uh pretty quick yep uh but we will then have a recap for sg1 season eight and then a second recap for atlantis season one yep and then we'll get going Yes. Uh, so that's our plan, Brent. Yep. That's our plan with a uh, wrinkle. We have a. Oh. Yeah. All right. What's the wrinkle? So quite a while ago, Zach and I were talking and we were we were talking about how how this going back and forth thing between Atlantis and SG-1 was kind of getting in the way of the flow of the story of both. And exacerbating it was you know real life stuff of how we, we, we had to take breaks from time to time for re for good reasons i mean like things things were coming up but it really was slowing things down and it was kind of tough to keep the thread and i think i even said it in a couple of episodes where it's like you know it's kind of hard to kind of see where you know to remember where we are with this kind of stuff mm -hmm. so a while ago um i think i was the one who suggested it uh that's certainly my memory of it i said uh, Zach, how about when we finish season one of Atlantis, how about we do seasons nine and ten of SG-1? Let's wrap that up and then go back to season two of Atlantis. Uh, and we were feeling pretty confident that that was a pretty good idea because, you know, like there was a good amount of story overlap between season eight of SG one and season one of Atlantis. Uh, you know, it, like it was Atlantis was depending on the season eight SG one, especially here, like, you know, like with the, with the, with the Daedalus approaching with the, with the found ZPM, like, like mm -hmm. this, this matters, this matters for sure. But it felt like a good idea to, to, to do that. Um, so I got good news and I got bad news. Okay. Hit me up. The, the bad news is that's exactly what we're going to do <laughs> is that we are going to spend the next, uh, you know, 40 episodes of of content to talk about uh, seasons nine and 10 of SG one. Then we're going to go back to season two of Atlantis. And I know all of you people who love Atlantis are literally screaming right now. You're screaming. I can hear you through space and time. I can hear um, the good news is that I am also now screaming with you. I was not <laughs> expecting because what I ended up texting Zach yesterday was I've got to wait a year. <laughs> yes. I have to wait a year. In all caps. I, In yes. all caps. Yeah. Like I am not happy 
I still think this is the right choice because it's going to help us keep things together. We're going to do Stargate 1.5 as the as the as the half joke, half truth says, I, you know, I like I I still think that this is the right move for sure. Um, Zach and I also talked. Uh, we're going to do an unbidden um, Stargate Second Chances episode when we finish season 10 of SG1. We are going to watch the siege part one and two again. We're going to make an episode about our impressions again and then go into uh, the siege part three, which I already know the answer the, like, you know, sorry, sorry, spoiler. I already learned that that was that's the thing. So, you know, th- this is good in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also good in the sense that everybody had to wait a while before they had a resolution to this story. That's a true statement. Everybody who has talked about it has talked about how frustrating it was to wait a while. <laughs> I, let's see here. I'm looking this up here. And I mean, the, it, it wasn't was, actually all that long. It was March to July. Yeah. Yeah. It was a few months, but uh, you know, it was, it was a good amount of time. And so let us friends, let us view this in the spirit of, of, current television shows who make us wait upwards of two years before the next season of whatever they're doing comes out. So um, it's going to be a bit. uh, It's probably going to be a year on the calendar, uh, maybe a little sooner, but probably not. And uh, so this time, fall of 2024, we're going to finally, finally get to the ending of the siege. And and I'm champing at the bit to get there. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to that. Brent uh, summed up kind of our thought processes there quite well. Um, so uh, thank you very much for going on this journey with us. Yeah, and I know absolutely. that this is a decision that's going to uh, disappoint <laughs> some of you. And I hope that you stick with us uh, uh, yeah. anyway. Um, and yeah, uh, totally. we're going to dig into seasons nine and 10 of SG one and uh, really uh, chew on that story and uh, experience that, uh, and then we will uh, we will return to the Pegasus Galaxy, yeah, um, and explore all that there is to see, yeah. in seasons four through five of this uh, wonderful and franchise. I'm, sequel. I'm I am very excited to do so. I still stand by this this choice that we've made, but I I there was a moment where I was actively questioning it. That I, is for dang sure. I, I did tell him yesterday, well, we could change our minds. No, no, it's, this is the right and, call. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, yes, so, I get it. I understand. Um, so if you have a, uh, you know, uh, if you just experienced a rage moment and you need to yell at us, you are welcome to do that. <laughs> yes, just send yes. those emails to walking through the stargate at gmail.com. Yes. And tell us how about all the things that were wrong and what we we're doing. We're going to screw everything up. We're going to we're going to mess up the entire <laughs> franchise 20 years later. I, you can t- go to town. Yeah, and, you can. You know, you know, disparage our mothers if you really need to. I mean, I don't think that's sure. necessary, but, uh, you know, I mean, you do you. Um, you know, whatever you're free to say uh, what if, you want. If you are going to be disparaging anything, uh, email us. We don't need that on the Facebooks or the Discords. Oh no, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, that 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 admin privileges will happen if uh, if yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but by all <laughs> means, with with emails, you can be as vitriolic as you need to be. Um, <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> this is coming from the softy of the two of us. I'm the softy. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, so this is, this is the right decision for us at this time. And since this is our podcast, this is, uh, 
what we're doing. This yeah. is how we're moving forward. It's how it's going to happen. But I figured yep. we probably should let you know. Yep. So uh, we will see you in a few weeks when we get into the, the recaps of, of these two seasons that we just finished. Yep. And uh, we'll jump into season nine of SG-1. Uh, shortly thereafter, and we'll keep going. Uh, do reminder that the the 200th episode is coming up uh, sooner than you think. Yeah, uh, sooner than even we think sometimes. Yep. Um, and uh, twelve episodes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, make your sock puppets. Um, yeah. And and we'll talk more about that when we get to the recaps. I mean, that's again. still that's that's still three months. I mean, that's, like, that's true. We we still got times, but but you know. Uh, you know, th- th- this is this is how my brain works. You, you tell me, and you say you have three months. You have three months. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I should do that. I should do that. And and then I th- think about it maybe a little bit, and then I wait to the last minute, and then I like panic. I'm like, ah, and then I get yeah. it done. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so then you know, I'll help I'll help you out. I'll help you out, friends. Um, it's not gonna be exactly three months. It's not gonna be December 30, but it's basically you know like there's your target. And as we get closer to it, I'll just keep saying, all right, well it's about this time. Better get it done. Yeah. Better get that sock puppet made. Yep. So that's that's the plan. That's that's the plan. that's that's what we're doing. So um I think with all that I say I'm Zach. Yeah. Okay. I'm Brent. And this has been oh, I forgot to say go walking th- the, the Facebooks and the Discords and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, but that's right. But okay. you know that because you, you were listening at the beginning of this podcast when I said all that stuff. Yes, that's true. Okay. <laughs> and now with all of that, I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Brent. <laughs> this has been walking through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.